This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Who or what is the skull crusher? This theme repeats itself throughout the Bible, but are we clear about the spirit behind it? Pastor Matthew Vanderels reveals the surprising gravity of this concept and what it represents for believers as we head into the end times. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. It sounds like something out of a superhero movie, but it's actually a much better story because it's true and the hero in the story is Yeshua. The Skull Crusher is tonight's episode with Matthew Vanderels in his series, Patterns in the Bible, and that is coming up in just a few minutes. Also, there are only two days left in our 25% off sale at rudestore.com. Now, of course, that will continue after Shabbat. Our store is closed for Shabbat, so uh, make plans after Shabbat to dive into there and get what you've been waiting for. And one of the most popular things in the store is our calendar, and tonight we enter into a new month on that calendar. It is the first Shabbat of the sixth month, also known as its Babylonian name Elul, on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you see it there. Now please welcome my co-host who made that calendar, Michael Rood. Thank you, Scott, thank you very much. I really appreciate you made the calendar because otherwise we don't know what we're doing. Well, this is the, the calendar that was in use in the first and second temple. It's the creator's calendar. And so we want to govern our lives by his calendar, by his time clock. Right, absolutely, because we need to make a, as, as great an effort as possible to follow his ways and follow the pattern that he lined out for us. And I think a lot of that has been lost over the years. Yeah, it has. Uh, when, when you talk about the Feast of the Lord, most people don't know what you're talking about. But we're gonna have a feast, Yom uh, Trua. Uh, we're gonna get together right here and have everybody come in. Uh, I think we also have some things online for people, mm -hmm. but, but, but those who wanna get the unfiltered truth want to come here. This is where it's gonna happen. Absolutely, now I know that there are just a few tickets left, so if there are none left, that's okay. You can still go online and watch, as Michael said. You go to yomtruacharlotte.com and you can choose your way to watch. Obviously, we'd like to have you here. It's gonna be just like we did at Passover uh, this year. We're gonna have 75 people in this studio right here. We're gonna have yourself, we're gonna have Jake Hilton, Matthew Vanderell, Steve Siefkin. Uh, it's all about preparing the way, preparing our minds. We know Yeshua's coming back, the world's in turmoil, and this is, uh, this is a chance to just get ready for Yom Teruah. Yeah. We're gonna have Jake Hilton here from Utah, and Jake, uh, speaking of the skull crusher, he crushed Joseph Smith's head. <laughs> <laughs> he does a good job destroying Mormonism because he was raised as the seventh generation over 200 years of being Mormon in his family. And so this is the man who has, has, has been through it all and has come out on top. Absolutely, and he had to give up a lot. He. His family abandoned him, his friends abandoned him. He basically had to start over again. And he, he loved God's truth so much that he just did it anyway. Yeah. 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 His testimony, everybody needs to hear it. That's why we have it on DVD. And also, yeah, we're going to have it back to tell the whole story again. Absolutely. 
All right, well, we have a, uh, a love gift that is uh, only available for a couple of more weeks here, and this is all about uh, the global cabal. Uh, we talk about this a lot, about end times, and uh, Matthew, or Mark Fulmer, rather, uh, does a really good job of tying this all together. Yeah, this is something that we couldn't put on the air. No. No, it's too dangerous, because we say things in this video from experience that has to be told to the nations. But it's going to be filtered out by the social media giants. That's they right. won't let us tell the story. Yeah, that's why we had Mark was here and we put him on uh, your app, on the michaelrood.tv app, because it was a whole four episode series. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to get it. It's called the the, uh, the Wuhan incident. Um, and, or, yeah, there was yeah the Wuhan incident because he was he he helped the government create these uh, scenarios. What if we had an epidemic or what if we had a pandemic? What would we do? He's been through these exercises. He's a twenty-year bioterrorism uh, expert. Did he tell them to tell us a bunch of lies? <laughs> he saw that. He saw that, and that's why he got out. He thought, wait a minute, something's not right here, and and now he knows. Now, of course, the you know. Everything's been revealed and he saw what he yeah. was going through. Yeah, there's many people who have died because of their involvement with the vaccines too. Mm -hmm. that. Yep, and, and he tells the truth there, right? And this, go yes he does, and this goes way beyond that. He, it's, uh, he says here, it's a mind-boggling plan to corral the world into a one-world government. Well, that's straight out of the Bible. Um, and it, it's a plan that is influencing our decisions right now every day. So we have to yeah. be careful we're not conditioned by the things we see on the internet. That's what they do. They try to change our language. And so we, we call things that are not as though they are. And we don't obey God's word because we've been conditioned by them. Right, yeah, this is all, you know, what's good is bad, bad is good, and we see that as one of the warning signs of the coming of Messiah, which is another reason we're holding an event here for Yom Teruah. We just really need to get that uh, th that word out and prepare our minds and hearts for the coming day. Yeah, game. yeah. We really appreciate you, and so we want you to have something that you can remember us by, too, and re remember the good things in life. Absolutely, and life is actually the uh, the centerpiece of this thing right here. Uh, this yeah. is the word "high" in Hebrew, meaning life. Hi, <laughs> 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 or something like that. Sure, <laughs> life. Oh goodness. Okay, so what are you going to see tonight? A little bit of this. Uh, when we read the Bible like the narrative it was crafted and molded to be we discover that it reads like a narrative it was crafted and molded to be. We see echoes of the same story over and over again. We see the impact and the points of what the biblical authors were actually trying to get us to understand. Uh, we begin to cultivate the wisdom that is sometimes a little subtle mm -hmm. between the lines. Uh, and we begin to learn on a deeper level the character of this God that dwells with us. All right, there you have it. Who or what is the skull crusher mentioned in the Bible? Pastor Matthew Vanderels reveals the surprising gravity of this concept and what it represents for believers as we head into the end times. That is coming up next. Stay with us for The Kiddush with Michael. Does a global cabal fit into the prophecies of the Bible? Or is it nothing more than a conspiracy theory? concocted by overzealous believers. Does this situation we're in play into the Bible? Like, does a global cabal fit into the Bible in your mind? Absolutely, Scott. The New World Order, all of this, is part of Bible prophecy. Author, teacher, and 20-year bioterrorism expert, Mark Fulmer presents The Global Cabal, the mind-boggling depths of a plan to corral the world into a one-world government, straight out of the book of the Revelation. You won't find this teaching anywhere online, but we'll give it to you as our thanks for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in August, we'll send you The Global Cabal with Mark Fulmer on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you The Global Cabal 
plus an authentic replica of a half-shekel coin from the first century AD. Donate $300 and we'll send you the teaching, the replica half-shekel coin, plus a beautiful handcrafted glass and brass sculpture of the Hebrew word chai, meaning life. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Root to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Root Awakening International only in August. Use your cell phone to scan the QR code on your screen to donate now or call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. If you like what you see on Shabbat Night Live, you'll love the bonus episodes. Now available only on the MichaelRood.tv app. These bonus episodes dive deep to give you more serious study, cutting-edge content, and righteous raves you won't find anywhere else. It's Michael Rood Uncut. Sign up now to get the MichaelRood.tv app free for 14 days. It's everything Michael Rood plus all new bonus episodes you won't find anywhere else. Sign up to watch now at MichaelRood.tv. There is a rabbinic tradition, even a takanot, a law which changed biblical law, that before one eats bread, one must wash their hand with a two-handled pot, a nagel vessel, and say this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us to wash the hands. Nowhere in the scripture is this ever commanded. In fact, the rabbis will plainly say that we are the ones that made it up, and when you are obeying us, you're obeying God. Well, Yeshua said, do not follow the takanot of the Pharisees. Do not follow their man-made rules and regulations. But every time there is bread, every time we can remember what Yeshua said, what he put in place. And we can say the prayer, Baruch Atah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech Ha'olam, Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua said, I am the bread brought forth in the earth. This represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, if it's every meal, if it's every Sabbath, you do it in remembrance of me, because by his stripes, we were healed. And Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Baruch Atah Yehovah, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pari HaGafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood, the broken covenant in which we were offered to be priests and kings, Yeshua paid the price, he renewed the covenant with us and made us priests and kings. And so as often as we do this, we remember this and we reign as priests and kings now and will do so in the future with Yeshua for a thousand years in our resurrected body along with his resurrected body. And we do this in remembrance of him. Shalom. Throughout the Bible, we see themes, and for the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring a couple of those with our guest, Matthew Vanderels, and today he's going to tell us about the skull crusher yes. throughout the Bible. This sounds like some kind of monster truck, but. Yeah, well, I, that's why I love the, that's the prophecy. There is a theme, a prophetic theme in the Bible that starts right from the beginning and goes all the way to the end about a skull crusher. Skull, specifically a skull crusher, not a, uh, some, something else to do with the skull, it's all, or skull, it's skull crusher. crusher. So, okay. uh, so as, as we've been, you know, if you've tuned in for the past few weeks, as we've been discovering, uh, when we read the Bible like the narrative it was crafted and molded to be, we discover that it reads like a narrative it was crafted and molded to be. We see echoes of the same story over and over again. We see the impact and the points 
of what the biblical authors were actually trying to get us to understand. Uh, we begin to cultivate the wisdom that is sometimes a little subtle mm-hmm. between the lines. Uh, and we begin to learn on a deeper level the character of this God that dwells with us. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as a part of that, we, we have these thematic themes and the echoes and the hyperlinks, but we also have very intentional phrases and word plays. So biblical authors, the humans just like us, they get creative sometimes, and sometimes they, they make rhymes in the poetry. They kind, of, they kind of inject like poetry, if you will, into, uh, into the prose. And so one of those times is in, of course, Genesis 3, which is when everything, human beings don't make it three pages in the story of the Bible before everything just goes to heck, right? And Genesis 3 is, of course, when we're introduced to the talking snake, which I found so humorous. Someone brought it up to me uh, a year or two ago. And when we're raised in the Bible, we read, we're so familiar with the stories that things don't like shock us anymore or have us like, oh, that is kind of unique. You know, can you imagine, uh, you've never read the Bible before, a new believer, you've committed yourself uh, to, to Christ, to Yeshua, and you start reading the Bible and uh, uh, right, there's a talking snake right at the beginning. It's like, huh, there's a talking snake. And in verse one of chapter three, now the serpent, now the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. Now in Hebrew, that word for crafty is a room, a room. So like a room, I guess you could say a room. And then when we, we know the story, the snake whispers into Eve's ear and says, hey, God doesn't want you to eat the fruit of determining good and evil for yourself because you'll be like him, which is so such a great deception because Eve and Adam were already like God, they were his images, right? Mm-hmm. That's how subtle uh, Hasatan is. But they eat the fruit, right? And then God walks in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve are hiding. Why are they hiding, right? Because they're afraid. And here's what it says in verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid, it's Adam speaking, because I was naked and I hid myself. So the word for naked there is erum, um, erum. Mm. So, so you have a wordplay there where the serpent was crafty and he was trying to get man to be like him. He was a room, but when man tried to be like the serpent and be crafty, they didn't become a room, they became erum. It's just kind of a neat, they became, found themselves naked. Yeah, there's a little play on words there that's just kind of hidden. And then of course we have the fall and here's where the prophecy of the skull cuff, cru- crusher comes to light. Uh, starting in, in Genesis 3, uh, verse 14, uh, God is looking at uh, the woman and the man and the grounds being cursed and the curses are being, the, the consequences of their actions are, are being pushed out, if you will, dealt out. And here's what he says. He says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all of the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike, or actually the word's the same, it's crush his heel. You will strike his heel. And this section of scripture, this verse here is commonly known as the Proto-Evangelium, the the first gospel. It's the first Mm -hmm. glimpse of the good news of Yeshua. Uh, Right here in the very beginning, uh, who would have thought? And and we have this dragon of chaos, the serpent, who's deceived the woman, uh, which is important for future patterns in the Bible. And now God has spoken that the seed of the woman is going to crush the skull of the serpent. But there's a, a warning, there's a caveat to that, right? When her seed crushes the skull of the serpent, the serpent is going to strike or crush the foot of her seed. It's the same word, strike, crush, um, in both instances. So the seed of the woman is going to wound the head of the serpent and the serpent is going to wound the head of the adversary. Now, when we read that, we, we kind of think like, oh, well, that's no big deal. Like that's totally, I will, I will have a bite on my foot but it's totally worth the bite to to kill the serpent, right? Like yeah, it's a, sure, it's, so. it's not an even trade off, you know. Right. It's I'm 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 uh, winning on the deal here. Um, so we always think that scene is if it was us, we would have our you know Timberland boots or you know combat boots, whatever, and we'd stomp the head of the serpent. No big deal. In the ancient world, it was understood. This is probably it's a sandal, barefoot. The snake's gonna bite you. 
Now, is it a dangerous snake? Could it kill you? Well, it, it took down all of mankind, so I think if we're rating them poisonous <laughs> and dangerous, it's a dangerous snake, right? Mm-hmm. Danger, danger noodle, whatever they call it. It's a, mm-hmm. it's the, it is the most dangerous snake. So the concept here, and it's kind of underneath the text, is that whoever crushes the snake is also gonna die. Mm. I mean, the, the most da- you're gonna get bit by the most dangerous. Yeah, I, I, I never read into it like that. Yeah, it's- Because it always it, seems like that uneven trade-off. Like yeah, you yeah, you just gotta, you got a combat boot. It's not gonna get me, it's gonna bite you. Um, snakes, were, it's not good. Uh, and so this becomes, uh, and what I would propose is here in Genesis 3, this is the launching platform for uh, the pattern of the skull crusher. Most of the time, we're gonna see this throughout the biblical narrative, through the stories of the Bible. Most of the time by a woman, a woman that crushes the head of the seed of the serpent, hmm. who is gonna be identified either as someone who um, is uh, evil, wicked, or someone who's an enemy to Israel. And of course, what's the most obvious story that comes to mind that, that's next in the lineup in the Bible? Well, we come to the book of Judges in chapter four, and we have Deborah. Uh, Deborah is the prophet, and she's the judge. She is the, the leader of Israel. And uh, her general, Barak, is going to war, and uh, he wants her to come with him. I, I want you, you're the, you're the king, queen, you're, you're the judge, come with me. Um, some, some would say that's kind of a shadow of Eve leading Adam at that point. Uh, but the author is getting our attention and framing the story out here. So Sisera, one of the generals of the enemy army that they're going after, uh, he, he's running away because they're losing the battle. Barak is, is coming after him. Uh, he's lost. And so he's running away in desperation. And, uh, and he runs into, uh, up to this tent where this woman named Jael comes out to greet him. And she's very hospitable. She's the wife of uh, Hever the Kenite. And she brings him into her tent and gives him some milk, right? And allows him to rest. Um, and some, some could assert, just like Eve gave the fruit to Adam, she's giving milk to Sisera, maybe. But we are gonna have a hyperlink right here. Sisera falls asleep after drinking the milk. And Yael, being the hospitable hostess she is, gets a tent stake and drives it through his skull and crushes the skull into the ground, Right? Um, here we go, <laughs> the seed of the serpent embodied in the enemies of Israel. Um, and so the word there for, uh, for skull, when it's crushed there, the word for skull, Hebrew word for skull there is uh, uh, golgolet, golgolet, sorry, golgolet, golgolet um, is skull. And as a result of Yael crushing the golgolet, uh, she's called this in Judges chapter five, verse 24. Most blessed of women be Yael, the wife of Haver the Kenite. Most blessed of all women is Yael. Hmm. Quite the contrast of the curse of the serpent, right? Like Yael is blessed among women, the serpent is cursed among the animals. But why was she so blessed? And here the biblical authors record a song. It's almost a shanty, if you will. But Judges chapter four, verse 26, it says the reason she's called most blessed is she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, and he lies still. Between her feet he sank, he fell, and he sank. There he fell dead. I always hear some pirates singing that. I don't know, I love the... <laughs> Sounds like an Irish drinking song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so most blessed among women is the one who brings forth the death of the seed of the serpent. Hmm. Now, if that phrase, blessed among women, uh, seems kind of familiar to you, it rings a bell, it should, because that is the same phrase that you, Luke writes uh, to identify Mary, the mother of Yeshua, who, spoiler alert, is the climactic fulfillment of the skull crusher. And so a few chapters later, uh, we see another occurrence of a woman crushing the head of a wicked, if you will, enemy of Israel. It's the story of Abimelech. And so Abimelech was the son of Gideon. He took uh, reign as king, as evil king, and he was not a great guy. He killed all of his 70 brothers um, to make sure the throne was untouched and unchallenged. And he was rec- reckless. He, he, kind of, he was like Lamech. He, he enjoyed killing people. Um, had a whole bunch of people in a towel, thousand people of men, women, and children, lit it on fire and watched them burn. Just went to another city, saw another tower. I'm gonna light this one on fire as well. Uh, but a young woman drops a stone out of the window and it crushes his head. And he's laying on the ground, stuff hanging out, asking his servant to kill him. I don't want to be known as the guy who got killed by a woman. So, well, you, I mean, 
you did. Like that's how you will be recorded forever <laughs> in the Bible. <clears throat> and that, that just took place, you know? Um, when, we, when we move forward into the story, if I was to say the enemies of Israel, what, what people group would you think of? The enemies of Israel, the Amorites, the, the Amorites, Amalekites, Amalekites, the uh, Moabites, all these types. What was the big one yeah. in the land? Uh, the Pal- the, uh, the uh, Philistines. Philistines. Yeah, the Philistines. And so Ezekiel 25, verse 15, actually labels and says the Philistines have enmity with Israel. Hmm. It's that same phrase. So here we are back to, okay, it's triggering Genesis 3.15. Philistines have enmity. Philistines are the seed of the serpent, the enemies. And so the Philistines have a hero, don't they? They have a hero they march on the battlefield. What was his name? Goliath. Goliath. And how is Goliath described? Well, in 1 Samuel 17, uh, 5 through 6, he's described as wearing bronze scales, armor, a bronze helmet, a bronze javelin, and bronze armor on his legs. Bronze, bronze, bronze. Very overused word. And the word for bronze here is uh, nachashet. Nachashet. And it's one consonant off of the word used for serpent in Genesis 3, which is nakash. Really? Nakash, nakashet, 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 nakashet. Four times in like one verse, he's used to describe this. Oh, and he's also covered in scales. Hmm. Hmm. Nakashet, nakosh, scaly, right? And, And it's interesting because maybe that's all coincidence, but his name, his name is Goliath, mean Gath, Goliath of Gath. And what's the, what's the Hebrew word for skull? Golgolat. Hmm. So we have all of these word plays that are screaming, seed of the serpent, seed of the, something's gonna happen. Um, so we have this figure that has enmity with Israel, the seed of the woman. He's described four times again with the word that sounds like snake. He's covered in scales. His name means skull. I wonder what's gonna happen, hmm. <laughs> right? If we're familiar, we already know. Um, yeah, what's gonna happen? Well, David comes to the battlefield and he crushes the skull of the seed of the serpent mm-hmm. with a rock through the forehead. Mm. It's a skull, victorious, right? And this is really the pinnacle of, of the skull crusher example uh, that the biblical authors really go out of their way to highlight, like this is happening. Um, victory, finally, right? He cuts his head off, takes it back to Jerusalem. Here we go, I have that head of the snake, right? Mm-hmm. And David begins to celebrate, obviously, rightfully so. And a huge party is being thrown. We won, we won, right? The very next chapter, everyone's cheering and they're cheering, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David, David has struck down 10,000s. And what's the result of that? Is Saul happy about that? There's some enmity there. There is some, (laughs) exactly, you nailed it. Saul becomes jealous, kind of like Cain did of Abel. The favor is not his. I mean, he's a huge shift takes place in the pattern in the narrative here because the personification of the serpent's head being defeated in Goliath, um, it's done, but now we see it like hopping hosts. Uh, It's now emerging in the heart of Saul, right? And what's the impact of that to uh, to the reader? Like we we see this now. And it's at this point that we realize that, well, the issue is again coming around, just like all the other patterns, has to do with our hearts. That is where um, the works of the serpent come from. Even Yeshua validates this. Everything comes from our heart. That is the issue. End of Deuteronomy, Moses warns Israel, you guys are gonna fail the Torah. We've given you all the commandments, all these ways, the ethic of God, but oh, that you would have a heart that would actually do it. It's not that people talk about the Torah is too hard. No, the Torah is not the problem. It's your heart. It is your heart. And so we begin to see this emerge um, as well. You know? Uh, so is there, let me ask you this, because I'm not sure, sure if this sure, is sure. in your notes or not, but as you're describing Goliath and his armor and the yes. scales and how closely related it is to the snake, is there some correlation there between, with the bronze snake? In the desert, hmm. maybe maybe that's not that's another teachings for some other time. But it's interesting. I'd never heard that that the the, the yeah. bronze and the snake were so closely related. Yeah. 
because there's, there's a different word for snake that's typically used, but um, nakosh is, is used, it's, it's, it's a unique phrasing in Genesis 1. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. I will gladly uh, visit now. that. That's I mean, a great observation. Yeah, what, it would not surprise me if it was tied in. I mean, so we constantly look at the Bible as if it was written by a bunch of farmers and and, and it wasn't. <laughs> and it's disjointed and there's yeah, no connection. Yeah, it's just a bunch of random yeah. stuff thrown in there and now it's the word of God. And oh man, it it is, uh, yeah, it is so much in there that is so neat and just... It's beautiful. And with respect to the, each of the authors, as we were talking about before the cameras yeah. came on, is that as, as good as it is and as connected it is, as it is, there's no way that man could have orchestrated all of these thematic connections. We're yeah. still discovering to this day, thousands of years after it was written, oh, yes. obviously orchestrated by Yehovah himself. I mean, no, there's no doubt. There's no the, way. The, the messy history and very messy, scary history of the Bible just. Messy, messy, very complicated. How we have this today is is absolutely incredible. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, the Old Testament is literally the story about how Torah was not enough to enable the people to live out God's calling, and it's not the Torah's fault. That's the thing, and the prophets pick up on this, and this is where we see this right here uh, with Saul getting jealous. This, here's this that we just defeated the seed of the serpent, but here it is again, and it's coming from the heart. And that's why the, uh, uh, the exilic prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they begin to talk about how God's gonna do heart surgery on all of us one day, right? Um, Ezekiel 36 talks about, I'm gonna put a new spirit in you, but not only that, God's gonna remove your heart of stone and give you a beating heart of flesh that his spirit is actually going to activate through mm -hmm. so that you can become the human that he has always intended you to be. Jeremiah 31, 31, uh, he's, going to, he's going to inscribe uh, print the ethic of his kingdom on your heart. Your heart will beat his reign of his kingdom, mm. his Torah. Um, now Isaiah, Isaiah doesn't talk about, he doesn't carry the heart motif, the heart surgery motif. He says that um, he has this vision for a time when the kingdom of God will become inaugurated on earth fully. And the seed of the serpent is fully defeated um, where this king will reign and rule as God's true image. He can't help but describe it as nothing less than new creation. Mm. I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things won't be remembered, right? And Isaiah goes on, he says, it's a time when the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. So the lion's gonna be a vegan now, that's cool. And <laughs> the dust will be the serpent's food. Mm. Is Isaiah 60, uh, 65. The, exactly what the curse was. The serpent will never again gain power. Hmm. Never. When this king rules. It's just kind of a neat, a neat, uh, a neat thing. I love that. It goes that. right back to, right back to Eden all over again. Right back to Eden. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, we have the, the seed of the serpent um, still alive and well in the human heart. And that is when we come to the New Testament. All right, hang on to that. Let's visit that in the next half. Thank you for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for bringing Matthew here. This show is possible because of your support. Actually possible because of someone else donated so that you could see it today. If you donate today, you'll ensure that others see this into the future. We thank you in advance for doing that. We'll be right back. Thanks for your support of Shabbat Night Live. Before the break, we were talking all about the skull crusher. Where does that come from? Way back in the Garden of Eden, we had the, uh, the crushing of the skull of the, uh, of the serpent. And that continues through some stories that Matthew Vanderels, you told me, I, I didn't even realize some of these stories. You know, we kind of glaze over them where, you know, Kings and Chronicles, we get kind of lost in there. We ignore some of that. But it, you brought out some stories from there uh, that really showed the thematic connection through the Bible. And right before the break, you said this doesn't stop with the Old Testament, with David and Goliath being the culmination of, of, of that whole concept, but it continues through the New Testament. Yes. So where, where does that head when we yeah, cross so over the line we, here? We, we've come from a place where we have the prophecy in uh, Genesis 3.15, uh, the examples with Yael, mm -hmm. uh, with um, Abimelech, with, um, of course, David and Goliath is kind of the, what seems to be the, the example that the authors put most emphasis on. It's kind of being the scaly bronze um, serpent-like uh, enemy of Israel, skull crushed. And, uh, and it's this point that we see that, you know, even though Goliath was killed, the seed of the serpent and the evil and the enemies of it, that same ethic made itself known in the heart of Saul almost immediately because he was losing his grasp of power. And that's the, that's the way of the serpent is when we take a grasp of power. Um, mm -hmm. The way that the world 
the way of the world teaches us too. And so, you know, that's how empires are built. That's how the, uh, the Daniel 7, the prophecy of the Messiah that's gonna come and defeat the beasts, where the beasts are empires, the collection of people that will grab power and want to maintain control at the expense of everyone else. And so we come to a place where we see that same thing happening with uh, Saul. And we begin to realize, as well as the prophets begin to realize or begin to expound that this is an issue with our hearts. Our hearts are constantly yearning to do whatever it takes to get us what we want, Mm -hmm. even if it means devaluing and exploiting other people, even if it means objectifying other images of God down to a status that is subhuman, it's okay. It's good because it benefits me. And this is that ethic. Um, you know, Yeshua, Yeshua uh, in response, he's very critical of the Pharisees and the religious leaders that kept Torah great. I mean, they were very strict. They had the checklist. Sometimes they'd expand their checklist just to set them apart more from everyone else, right? Because we have a tendency to do that. We, uh, sometimes we like to use the Bible as a checklist to reinforce a farce, sense of righteousness and holiness that we ourselves attribute um, mm-hmm. to ours. And, uh, and if someone gets close, they just kind of expand the checklist to make them more right. set apart. Uh, and Yeshua refers to them as the, the sons of the devil. <laughs> right. The son of the certain. And unless your righteousness exceeds that of the, yes. what were they missing? Yes. The heart, right? Exactly. And so that's when the prophets come out. And of course, there needs to be a heart change. And so we enter the New Testament uh, with all this specific theme that's been uh, threaded through the Old Testament. And we see that Luke begins his letter with the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias. And um, of course, Eliz- so Zacharias is in the temple and he's doing his incense thing, which was, uh, I think for the priests, from what we know from the Mishnah, it only happened once in a lifetime, mm-hmm. right? Very once in a lifetime, thing. very special thing. That would have been neat. And so he goes there and the angel tells him, you know, you're going to have a son, all this stuff's going to happen. And, and, uh, and he's fearful, he's scared, he has doubt, he loses his voice. Like, you know what, because you doubt, I'm going to take your voice, right? Mm. Um, and then in the very next scene, we see Elizabeth, his wife, is pregnant and she's prophesying over Mary, which is a role reversal, if you notice. So we have the priest who's in the temple who is reprimanded and kind of shamed a little bit. And then you have the woman who is now the prophet over the priest. It's just, it's a neat. It's a, Interesting. It's a neat, that. a neat yeah. dynamic, right? And so of course uh, we have the whole Mary uh, is, is going to become pregnant. Um, she's pregnant and she comes and she meets with Elizabeth and Elizabeth rushes to her and is so excited. She's prophesying. And what does she say to Mary? In Luke chapter one, verse 42, it says, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed are you among women. Why? Because of the child you're about to bear. It's time. It's time that the king is going to be born. The child is going to, the seed of the woman is going to be born that is going to crush the head of the serpent. Mm. Just like Yael. Blessed are you among women. Blessed are you among women. That's the connection. Uh, Mary is called the very same thing that Yael is called after she crushes the head of the enemies of Israel. Um, This is the skull crusher. And uh, Mary is such an amazing figure in the gospels. Um, With with Mary, we we literally have the climactic fulfillment of the proto-evangelium in Genesis 3.15, the first gospel. And why is it so important? Well, because here you could say Mary's being presented as the new Eve. Mm. So Genesis 3, Eve is prophesied that her offspring, her seed will crush the serpent, but the serpent will strike the seed. Um, And here is the woman whose seed is gonna crush the serpent, but whose seed will also strike, be struck struck by the serpent as well. Uh, It's the paradox, right? It's a paradox. Just like in Daniel 7, um, in order to defeat and kill the beast, you have to allow the beast to pour everything that it has out on you, hmm. right? Okay. Yep. And that's what Yeshua does. He allows the world, the empire, the followers of the ethic of the serpent to pour out onto him everything they have, everything. And it wasn't enough. Hmm. It came up lacking. Oh, we see that at the end too. It, is, yeah. it will be a time like there's never been of, yes. of suffering and et cetera. So that... Let them pour out everything. Let it pour out. It, we, we are, what was John saying in his vision? Uh, we are protected 
but it's not a sense of <laughs> you can't get hurt. It's a spiritual protection because we are his. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, of course, Mary's a woman whose seed will crush the serpent. Um, and, uh, but when we come to John, we see something really interesting. And I think John, uh, it, John is specifically trying to uh, promote Mary as this new Eve. So we already talked about the theme of creation and new creation in previous weeks. Uh, and so there's a creation, but mankind fails. And so God is a new creation, new creation. And finally, there's going to be a new creation that's gonna stick where the full human being is going to present itself. The actual image bearers are going to present itself and humans are going to take up their vocation fully and no longer fall and take of the fruit. And John is really big on that because we know who the new creation starts with. It starts with Yeshua. Mm -hmm. He is the one that brings forth the new creation. Just like uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if you are in Christ, new creation's a reality. It's here. You have those lenses on. And so John, how does he start his film? And I I say film. So each of the the gospel um, authors, I like to think are like little directors and they're presenting their film of the story of Jesus. So they're a little bit different angles, different emphasis and so on and so forth. John starts his out in the beginning. John is starting his, uh, his presentation of Yeshua out with a Genesis account, a beginning, but it's not Genesis. Hmm. It's a new creation account. It's a new creation account of how all things came to be through Yeshua. This is how new creation comes. And it's just so neat when you realize that, right? And so we have the new creation has come, it's coming through. Um, but just like the new creation, we have man, we have woman, we have the serpent issue. And we go, and what is the first miracle that Yeshua does in John? We talked about it earlier. It's at the wedding of Cana. Um, he turns the water into wine. But during the wedding, we have mom. And mom sees that the wine is low. So mom does what any good mother would do. Says, listen, I know you can do this. You need to go ahead and do it. Come on. And Yeshua responds to her in a very unsettling way, if you remember. Woman. You ever read that? Mm-hmm. Yeshua was like, listen, woman. And instantly, at least with my upbringing, I read that. <laughs> What's Mary about to do? You know? It sounds I, like Yeshua's talking back to her. It mom. sounds like Yeshua is disrespecting his mother and talking down to her. And nobody calls their mother woman. Like, especially in the first century Jewish culture. I don't, I don't know what the repercussions of that would be, um, but it seems to be something so casual that takes place and everybody notices it. And, uh, and, and, and so when we study that, we, we see something interesting. We see that, oh, well, the word there, woman, is, is gyna, gyna. And it's the same word that's used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, to, define, to describe Eve, the woman. Hmm. And so most, most Greek scholars believe that because of the way it's phrased there, it's a hyperlink. It's supposed to say woman, what woman, the woman. We're in new creation now, creation story, garden, what's happening. Woman, it's taken us back to Genesis 3. Um, not everyone agrees with that, but I, I definitely like the trajectory of it because it's, it's setting this up as Mary being the new Eve here. And, uh, and Mary's reference as Gina only occurs two places in, uh, in the New Testament, her reference. Hmm. It happens here in John chapter two, and it happens in Revelation 12, right? Where uh, Mary is a personification of Israel in Mary, up in the heavens, the 12 stars, right? Sun and moon on her feet, and she brings forth the child. And as the child is born, Satan, the serpent is defeated. Hmm. Like something about as soon as she brings forth the one who's gonna defeat the serpent, the skull crusher, the serpent is, set, Satan is kicked out of heaven. Like he loses all power instantly. The man king, the child king is born. Um, and here we have that connection. This is John, John likely wrote, wrote both, right? Mm-hmm. This is what right. he's emphasizing, uh, which I think is pretty neat. Um, and so John here is emphasizing this story and it connects us back to Genesis two and three, new creation. Um, And Eve was called woman just like that. So we have Eve is called woman, just like Mary is called woman. Um, Eve invited Adam to commit the first sin, or Mary's here inviting Yeshua to produce the first miracle. Eve was with Adam in and at the fall, 
tempted by the devil to sin, while Mary was with Yeshua at the crucifixion, uh, while Eve was the mother of all offspring who conquers the serpent, Mary is the woman whose offspring actually conquers the devil. Um, and we know the long-awaited one was not Yael. It was not the girl who threw the milestone to Abimelech's skull. Uh, it was not Esther, right? It was not David. All of these were shadows of what was going to come. And we know who the skull crusher is as believers, um, the one who took the strike of the serpent in order to kill the serpent. And it's interesting because all four gospel accounts record this detail about the crucifixion. It says they took him up to the place known as Golgotha, the place of the skull. Hmm. So John 19, 17 says, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others. There they crucified him. So on this hill, known as the skull, we have a stake that is going through it. Mm. And the skull crusher is on top of it. It's just a brilliant picture. Uh, I love that so much. And he is the one that tramples the head of the serpent. So what's interesting is what happens now. What happens now? So we have our king. We have... Um, the true image bearer of God. We have uh, the son of God, the one that we follow. He has defeated the serpent. He stripped him of all power, right? Uh, Colossians 2.15 says, and having disarmed the powers of authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over, triumphing over them by the cross. But what happens now? Does the message of the cross and the power of the cross simply stop at the cross? Did all of the power that Yeshua had and the message and the trajectory and the authority, did all of that just stop when he was crucified? No, it, it, it keeps moving forward. That's the whole thing about new creation. And that's something that, uh, that prompts Paul in Romans chapter 16, verse 20 to say, he's, he's speaking to uh, the church in Rome and he says this, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Hmm. Under your feet the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's a dynamic change because we know about the skull crusher, but are we given the same power and authority through the spirit that raised him from the dead? That's what scripture says. So now we have an opportunity. We have the power to also trample the things and the whispers uh, of the serpent as well. And of course, Paul is pulling from Psalm 110 as well as Genesis 3.15. Yeshua is the one that tramples the serpent. When evil arises in your midst, know that God has also given you that victory and you too are able to conquer because of what Yeshua has done. And that's kind of the message here. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Hmm. I love it. And how, how often do we really realize that, that that power is actually ours and we don't recognize it? We would much rather just eat the fruit. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> we would much rather just eat the, uh, the fruit. Um, but the New Testament authors uh, carry on the tradition of the biblical authors of the Old Testament. And they say, hey, it's, 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 we're not waiting on it anymore. Hmm. We're not anticipating it anymore. Uh, the hope, everything we've put in is here. And we have our king and we pick up our stake and we follow him. Right. And so in that same, uh, that same vein, I mean, we would have to expect that, okay, well, if we are the skull crusher, are we also gonna be nipped in the heel as well? Ooh. So that's where Yeshua says, you know, where, if you pick up your cross and follow me, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. If they kill me, they're gonna kill you. So, Well, Scott, that's not right. a very fun message to talk about. And so let's just <laughs> ignore the reality of the gospel. No, so, so <laughs> the seed of the serpent permeates the world. I mean, it's an ethic. It's the human ethic. It's the, uh, the corruption of the heart. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see that again, Daniel 7, the beasts that stomp the saints. When you come into this world and you start living out the ethic or living uh, of the means of a different type of kingdom, when you see conflict and you don't hate, when you give mercy to people that no one else would give mercy to you, when you demonstrate grace that is too much and too radical, when you don't use violence in response to violence, that doesn't make sense and that's scary to how the world operates. And so you become their enemy very quickly. 
That's what got Yeshua killed. Right. right. <laughs> that and, is what and, got him killed. And he and remember, he was innocent, but they mm. made up stories about him. They enticed the crowd to choose Barabbas versus yeah. him. So all of these lies, cheats, steal, all these things that, that happened to Yeshua is gonna happen to us. Yeah. Is it not is it fair? No, it's not fair. No, that's how the world operates. Right. But somehow, and it the the, the gospel looks like foolishness, that's what Paul says. Doesn't make sense. Somehow, somehow we operate in this upside down kingdom. And somehow Yeshua says, listen, if you trust me, if you trust me, you can participate in defeating evil. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's sacrifice involved. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes you lose. And you still hold true to the hope that you have that God is going to produce the result. Mm-hmm. And it may not be in your lifetime. It may be in the next generation or the next, but we know it's coming. We know the, we know on earth as it is in heaven is a reality now in each of us, but it is going to come full in its fullness when Yeshua returns. Mm-hmm. And we participate in that now. So yeah, we say, Father, forgive them. We know not what they do when it's the hardest situation to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we give mercy to those who we don't think or the world doesn't think deserves it. Right, and sometimes we think, we get caught in the trap of, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, right, yeah. so then, then we become part of that problem instead of being part of the solution. Mm-hmm. As we talked about last week with the Sabbath, yes. it's, it, we get caught up in that too, that well, I'm never gonna get ahead if I don't do what they do. But you know, I've realized something, you know, I've, I've got this little health thing I do on the side. Of course, you have a congregation. Yes. And I wonder if you pray the same things that I do sometimes about that. It's like, I can try all I want, God, but you know what? You've gotta bring the people. Mm. Uh, and, and when I do that and I just sort of hand it over, all of a sudden people come out of the woodwork I've never heard of asking for help with, with health things. I don't know if you find that same way too. Is you, if you, you know, we talk about doing the Google ads and this and that, oh, trying yeah. to get attention for the, for the congregation and all this. But sometimes if you just go, ah, forget it. God, you do it. I can't do it. Poof, it happens. Yeah. We just surrender to him and he takes over. And it's, yeah. it's just part of that. Don't become part of the world. Trust me, I've got you. Yeah, bad things might come against you, but in the end... He's got us, for lack of a better term. You are, you are not the first one who has endured the wrath of the pseudo wrath of the beast, who is <laughs> still thrashing and clawing and biting, but doesn't really have any power anymore. Right. Um, what can they take? Exactly, right. <laughs> and that's Yeshua's message. Um, you can change the world, but it starts with not perpetuating evil mm-hmm. and trampling on it when you see it. And sometimes you do that um, like Yeshua showed us on the cross in a cruciform manner. And that's not a fun message, right. but that's the reality of the commitment and the allegiance to a king, um, the king of the kingdom of God. And we have more to talk about regarding this thematic connections throughout sure. the Bible. Uh, I think we have at least one week left and uh, we're gonna do that uh, next week if you're willing. Awesome. Absolutely. Okay, well you Absolutely. join us too. See you next week on Shabbat Night Live. We're gonna talk more with Matthew Vanderels about, oh, here it comes, the temple. Ooh, ooh, this is gonna be a good one. I snuck ahead, I told him. Uh, I'm excited. Okay. okay. I'm excited. <laughs> so see you next week. We'll talk about the temple on Shabbat Night Live. Until then, Shavuot Tov.